And now, welcome to Like a Boss. Insights with influencers, creatives, online entrepreneurs, and badasses like you. Here is your hostess, Heather Havenwood, Chief Sexy Boss, helping you rise to the top. Are you a coach, consultant, small business owner, or online entrepreneur? Do you want to significantly grow your business, triple your list, and double your sales conversions? If the answer is yes, then launching a podcast is the next step. You see, being an expert in your field, having a website is no longer enough to be noticed in today's marketplace. I call it the influencer effect. Being an influencer is the key. You see, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And having your own podcast helps people to connect with you. If you're interested in having me help you launch your own podcast, grow your influence, and promote your business, then go to InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. That's InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. And let me help you rise to the top. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Like a Boss, insights with influencers and badasses like you. So I have a true badass of badasses today on the call, Roland Frazier. Welcome. Thank you. This is super exciting for me because I have... You've kind of been a mentor for me, like afar. I've known you for many years. We've been in a, in a mastermind together, and like I just think you're amazing and a badass, and you've just been definitely a mentor to me for many years. So I just kind of excited slash nervous to interview you. Isn't that crazy? Should be fun. I know it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Okay, so I want to introduce you to Roland Frazier. And when I was reading the bio early in the green room, everyone, he was like, "Just say what's there for you," because his bio is just insane in the world of who he is in the world of business. So I just kind of want to share with you. You can go to RolandFrazier.com and go check out like his official bio. But instead, I kind of want to share who he is for me. So for me, Roland Frazier is not only a, a badass, but he's what I call one of the smartest guys I know, the wicked smart guys I've ever known. He's able to look at business in a way that sometimes just kind of boggles my mind of being able to look at businesses and take them from six figures to sometimes eight figures and beyond and figure out a way, a strategy plan that I've never seen before. I've been in uh private meetings with him. I've also been in a group session with him where he takes businesses and flips them just by one word or recategorizing and literally creates massive amounts of assets for the business. So I think it's pretty powerful. Um, that's my introduction to you. You're a badass. You're entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Of course you are a co-founder. I'm sorry. Co-principal, correct? Of digitalmarketer.com. Correct. Yeah. All right. And war room, correct? Yeah. War room okay. mastermind. And many, many other businesses that Feel free to go check out at RolandFraser.com. So for who you are for me as a mentor, so can I say that? Nice. You're welcome. Um, so I'm super excited to interview you today, and we didn't even discuss what the hell we're going to talk about, so I guess we can talk about whatever you want. Um, let's go start this. What's, what's right now on your plate right now? What's going on? What's your focus? Um, we are growing digital marketer, especially internationally. So we're, we have an event in uh, Tel Aviv and Israel in um, June and a bunch of events all over the world. We've got Traffic and Conversion Summit, which is our big uh, marketing summit. It's the biggest marketing summit in digital marketing summit in North America. And it's going to Russia and um, 
Singapore and Hong Kong and Amsterdam and New York over the next year and a half. And so that's pretty exciting. So I like that international is fun for me because it's just such a such a wild west and such Mm -hmm. blue ocean opportunity in in those places. And then um, I just acquired an interest in a company called Big Block Realty, which is the fastest growing uh, real estate company. Uh, It was number 28 or something like that on the Inc. uh, 500 um, the last few years. And uh, we've got a lot of SaaSes, a lot of software as a service products that we're growing right now. And then uh, I'm doing something in the OSHA compliance space with uh with another partner and uh just uh, all that stuff it's it's a growing war room we've doubled the size of our mastermind we have 200 members now we're trying to add another 100 this year i'm going to try we're going to add another 100 this year and um we just exited uh three of our companies and acquired two new companies so that's that's a little bit of what's going on right now just a little not much so you got a lot of time on your hands. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you cracked me up with that. So I, I do have a question for you because I was part of, uh, you know, I was in the very first digital marketer 10 years ago, 11 years ago, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. it was about 100 people and, or maybe 150. I don't remember the room was, you know, in Austin and um, the um, TNC. I think yeah. it was 262, I think they said. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so 262, classroom style, one room, you know, Perry and, and Ryan there at the front. And I remember the very, the only booth outside was like one table and it was like one person like, hey, and like throwing business cards out, you know. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Uh, you guys have come a huge way. The one I just went to um, back earlier this year was around 6,000. Okay. Yeah, I think we had sixty, about sixty five hundred, and then uh, okay. next year we'll have we we'll move to the convention center and we'll have ten thousand. So that'll be fun. So that's a huge difference, obviously, from two hundred and fifty people to six thousand or seven thousand. And I don't you, see it. you came in at a certain time. What, <laughs> what do you think that? What do you think that growth was really? Was it timing? What was really? What did y'all do to really create that growth? I think we we created a, and it was um, Ryan and Perry and Richard for um, for the first. Let's see, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So for the first three years uh, before I became a partner, it was Ryan and Perry and Richard Lindner, who's the president now of, of Digital Marketer. And it was unique in that um, it was really content focused and it's yeah. cutting edge content. It's the, the digital marketer is famous for being on the cutting edge of all things digital marketing. So it was strategies and techniques and people who were speaking who had not really shared this kind of stuff before. So, so that's, I think the first thing, really, really valuable, unique content. The second thing was uh, even back then it was an experience because it was what we called the Ryan and Perry show back then. And they are very different personalities and played well off of each other. And so that was kind of cool then. And, um, uh, and also they had an audience, they already had media through digital marketers. So they had an audience. So it's a lot easier to go to your audience and say, Hey, we're going to have an event than it is to say, Hey, we're going to have an event. Let's go find an audience. And so I think those, I think those three things were what initially caused it to catch on. And then I think adding really valuable content from additional speakers, um, going to a multi-stage format, really building up the sponsors so that there are people that come now. We had 200 sponsors this year. We'll have, I think 350 next year. So it's, it's really a place that people go now to actually look at solutions and providers and find out new things that they might not tools and things like that, that they might not have known about. 
And um, it's also become very much a place for networking. So we yeah. really push the parties and the groups that are around TNC that are supporting that so that there's lots and lots of networking. We've started um, even reaching out to people and sponsors and connecting them. And so we, we basically talk with the sponsors and say, what kind of people do you want to connect with? And then we start setting up meetings for them. So all of those things. Um, and then, and, and then moving the venue from Austin to a much, I think, sexier place in San Diego for that time of year. Uh, so it's a, it's everybody that's experiencing the heart of winter can come to San Diego and yeah. have blue skies and oceans. That's, that's a good thing too. And, and a lot of really intense marketing and uh, looking at where we can improve and how we can better meet the needs of the audience. I think all of those things, it's, it's all of that coming together at the same time. Yeah. You, and it was also, I think some last bit of the timing as well. You guys came in, what year was that when they started? Was that 09, 2010? It would have been 09. No. 09. Right. I think I moved in Austin in 09, 010 that year. When, and and the, the place they had, it was down the street from where I live now. It was like a half a mile on the Hyatt, right? So the Hyatt, yeah. um, I just, I find it fascinating seeing the growth of that particular conference and coming from the event business that I was in, it just kind of it fascinated me. It's kind of watching it from the inside and how you guys grew it and how you guys are going to go to that next level. My question is how, how do you, for you, you're like the mastermind behind it in, in a lot of ways. How do you structure it so that it's now going beyond Ryan and Perry show? It's gone beyond that. It's way more beyond now a corporate. You guys sold a partial of it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you do that? What was the strategy behind that? Sure. Well, one one of the things is we we didn't want it to be about when we when we met when I came on board and it's it's definitely a team effort. I mean, I I can't tell you how much Richard Linder has added to the the uh, marketing side of that and Ryan uh, to the content and Perry's always delivering crazy off the wall content plus personality. Um, the one thing I forgot to mention also that that was a big a big change was um, I. I lobbied really hard to dramatically increase the production budget. And so I wanted it to be a show, a world-class event. And so we literally doubled the costs of putting on the show from 2013, uh, which was the first year I came in, but I didn't get to really, the only thing I got to do in 2013 was speak and, uh, and negotiate getting William Shatner to come in as our first, very first celebrity guest. But, um, after that, I, like 2014, I got to actually really go in and work on how can we create an experience. And while everybody else was doing pipe and drape and, um, you know, just kind of a traditional convention experience, we created a show. And that's why we've added uh, lasers and fire pots and, um, and all kinds of uh, side graphics around the room. We really, really, we do LED walls. I mean, it's, it's a, we have a DJ on the stage. We had this year lighted hand bands that people could, could hold up. And that production quality is a big deal because it is, mm-hmm. it, it needs to be not just spouting information from stage. It needs to be entertaining. And we're very, very mm-hmm. conscious of that and very focused on it. So I, I think that, I think that was a really, um, a really big thing. And the, um, And then that multi-stage experience too, um, a lot of people don't realize that having sponsors is important. So that was another big focus of mine. You've done a a great job of that. If you could speak to that for a second on sponsors, you've just, it's brilliant how you guys have done it. 
yeah, we, when I came in, we had, uh, we had eight sponsors that generated $40,000 in 2013. And last year we, or this year, I guess, um, I think it was right at two and a half million. So the sponsors basically pay for the event and everything else is profit. So that's kind of, kind of unique. And, um, but to have sponsors, not only do you need to have a marketing plan to go out and get them, which, which we created, but you have to have uh, you have to have a full time of team of people. You have to really think about serving them as well. So right. we realized that that we have we have several different clients. Our clients not just the attendee. Our clients are the sponsors. Our clients are the attendees. Our clients are the speakers, and our clients are the people who are behind the scenes as partners and promoters. So yeah. knowing that we've got all of those clients to serve and focusing on them specifically as to how we can serve them best is has had a huge deal. So sponsor wise, getting, um, creating a pipeline. So we have a pipeline of about 5,000 sponsors that we are in contact with throughout the year. We have uh, sponsor VIP rooms. We provide anything the sponsors want. We have a concierge team of four people that goes around to all the sponsors throughout the show and says, what do you need? And whatever they say they want, we get so that they can spend more time in the booth. If they want to drink, if they want a beer, if they want to lunch, whatever we serve, uh, we do serve lunches and everything on property in separate mm -hmm. rooms for them. I mean, it's, it's a, we have sponsored gifts. So we send them gifts. We have a gifting program for speakers and sponsors and VIPs. Um, so all of that stuff, I think really, fits in. And then we have a complete sponsor package that gives them all the demographics and psychographics of the people who are attending. We now connect the sponsors, as I mentioned, to people that they want to meet and have meetings throughout the show. So it's, it's a big, big deal to, to take care of those folks. Wow. The other thing I was going to mention is that 2013 was the last time that we sold anything from the back of the room. So we do not, um, we do not pitch from the stage. We occasionally have people, we have a contract with a pretty severe clause for anybody that does do that, but, and occasionally they do, and we have to, you know, we have to have them not come back. But, um, but really the experience is so much better. I think yeah. having a trade show experience where you go in and you hear content. And if you're interested in the content, then the person who was giving the content has a booth and you can go talk to them about it, but you're not commanded to stand up and run to the back of the room and buy, 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 buy. I think, I think that, I think that the events that are still doing that, um, are way behind the times. It is not a pleasant customer experience. And I think everything's about customer experience. How can you serve the people who are attending to make them happy and get them what they want? Not how can you shove product that they don't really want down their throat because you created this artificial buying, you know, frenzy. One of the things I think is fascinating about your specific digital market, that event specifically, because I've been to other events, of course, right? And um, the rooms, the breakout rooms are full. Mm -hmm. And that's, not always the case when you're adding a trade show plus multiple speaker rooms. I've yep. been to some where the trade show is amazing and the speaker rooms, like no one's there, you know, what, what's, what's your secret saucer? Cause that's pretty, that's impressive. I, I think it's a combination of, of really carefully vetting. I think we turned down about 400 speaker applications this year. Uh, and we accepted, I think 105 including us, we have to apply to a committee for our speeches too. And we strip the, um, the name and the company name, the name of the person and the company name off the application before it goes to committee. So there's no race or gender bias. Um, and that I think makes a, makes a huge difference. We also um, work really hard to know what is hot 
and what our client wants. We do survey our client, you know, our, our attendees. We find out what they're interested in. We're keeping track at Digital Marketer of all the data of what pages of what we are publishing at Digital Marketer are getting the most play. And then the content that's around those topics is obviously what people want to hear the most. And so we know, kind of like Netflix knows what shows to, to, to green light based on yeah. what people watch. We have that data also for, for our market. So we're able to say, these are the, these are the sessions that are most likely to be uh, successful. And then we'll also help people tweaking titles. I know that um, in 2014, uh, Russell Brunson was launching, I think, ClickFunnels at TNC. And his title was um, how to some weird funnel that makes $100,000 a day or something like that. And Richard Linder said, no, nah, we're going to call that funnel hacking. And now everything that Russell does is funnel hacking, funnel hacking. I think funnel hacking live is his event even. So um, I didn't know that story. So Richard Linder created funnel hacking. That is awesome. He did. He did. Yeah. So I think that, um, I, know that story. I think that that uh, paying attention to all those details is, is really yeah. important. And, and we, are blessed that we have way more speakers who want to speak on the stage than we have slots. So yeah. we're able to pick the best people and it's hard sometimes. And even when, you know, when we're, uh, when we're doing the program and you're looking at who you're up against, it's like, man, I don't want to speak up against this person and this person, this person, nobody's going to come to my session. But the truth is that we sell out every year. So yeah. every session is going to be full because we just, you know, we don't have any extra space for people and the fire marshal regulates. We have to have people counting at the doors how many people are going to each room. And then we end up closing the rooms because, you know, the fire marshal. So it'll be really cool for the first time ever in 2020, we will be in the San Diego convention center with, I believe enough space that we will still sell out, but we will actually have enough space to get everybody into everything they want to see. And so, yeah, what we've had to do to, to cover that, uh, recently is to do live stream rooms so that we have overflow rooms where people can go and watch live streams. So it's, uh, it's, it's, you got a great problem to have Roland. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> There's just it's many not people. a bad thing. Not a bad, not thing. a bad thing at all. That's pretty impressive. Were you, uh, I want to ask you about the question. I know, um, I'm not sure when this is kind of the question. I know somewhere along the way, digital marketer made a shift towards agencies, you know, mm-hmm. And do you think that, when was that? Were you part of that? And then and why would, why that shift versus, I, I'm just curious, what, what was that decision? Yeah, it, it was really the, um, the brainchild of, uh, of Ryan and Richard. And um, because they're, they're primarily the guys that run Digital Marketer. And, um, and so they, they just really felt that a move towards uh, upstream, towards a higher level clientele that that was a large group of people that were still digital marketing centric was going to be a really good place for a digital marketer to go. And, um, and I think it makes sense so that instead of it's, it was just like the decision to go from selling single programs, uh, that, that, um, (laughs) selling single programs that basically had a very limited lifespan, like how to make money doing this on Facebook or how to, you know, it, it was more business opportunity focused in the beginning um, and when we had, I remember sitting at, uh, the table at TNC 2014 and having a conversation about how, um, how tight money was and how, you know, what did we need to do next? What program were we going to do to create the next program, at, you know, that was going to sell, that was going to put the money in the coffers because we were spending so much money on, on TNC. And, um, the, 
decision, uh, you know, the, the, the problem was, is that they told me, you know, well, we have offer fatigue after about four weeks, you know, sometimes four to six weeks. Um, but you know, only one out of, uh, two programs is really successful. And so I was like, well, we basically need to have, you know, 18, 16 to 18 offers a year to be able to stay in business. That's insane. And, you know, Perry's like, I just can't, I can't write that many amazing offers. That's just, that's just too hard because it's all the supporting information. It's not just the sales page. It's everything else that goes with it from emails and landers and stuff like that. And, um, so it, it just occurred to me and we, we talked about is that, you know, this model doesn't work. This model is broken. This publishing model where we're paying 10 to 15% to other people to publish them off the top. And then, um, we have these programs that have a very limited lifespan because things are changing so fast in the world. So we decided to build something that would have a catalog of products to move away from publishing, to do our own stuff, create our own content, our own products that we owned. And um, that started the move towards evergreen products in categories like you now see with our certifications. Then um, we decided to go to the certifications. Then we decided to go to uh, a model where we didn't sell them for 500 or $1,000. We sold them on a subscription basis. That was based on conversations with some investment bankers that came in and said, uh, subscription-based businesses sell at multiples of revenue. Non-subscription businesses typically sell at multiples of EBITDA or income. So we're like, okay, well, that, that's, a, that's a good clue. We're going to do that. And then, um, and then Ryan and Richard decided that it really made sense uh, upmarket to create a program that was a higher-end program that could be sold to agencies and, and to support agencies because agencies have lots of clients. And we didn't want – we had tried in 2014 also – to build funnels for people and be an agency. And it was just a nightmare. It's just a service business. It's super hard to scale. And so we wanted to be behind the scenes, one level back from that. And so that's kind of what led to that. And, um, and now uh, we have, uh, we might be at a thousand now. I know we have a ton of agencies that are our, our customers and our certified partner partner. partners. Right. I think it was a brilliant move that you guys went into the training of their staff. Like that was the next iteration of that or certifications of that was kind of, that was, um, that was brilliant. And so I want to make sure people don't overstep the one piece that you said that I love it. You said that investment makers came in and focused on and said, Hey, you know, subscription based models sell higher. That's your brilliancy. When you, when you, I've seen you work at this for, I've seen you in a room where you talk about that. You're like, just change this, change this. Now you have a different kind of business that you're now looked upon from this to this in investment world. I can't even speak to the language, right? So what, and I, I've heard of that word before, EBITDA, but I don't know what that is. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. Uh, EBITDA is, uh, is income before, it's, excuse me, earnings. Earnings before in, income, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So all that really is, is there are non-cash deductions that come out in the accounting world for when you're, when you buy something and you, you have to write it off over a period of years or depreciate or amortize it as opposed to taking a deduction instantly. So it kind of messes up the financial statements and makes it look like you're making less than you are in terms of actual cash. So when you're selling or buying a business, you typically look at a number that is basically profit without all those non-cash expenses taken out of it. And, um, and that's how businesses are typically bought and sold unless they're subscription businesses, in which case they are typically sold for a multiple of revenue, which is so much. Ah, Yeah. Okay. So think about that. My favorite example there is you think about two different businesses. One has 
both of them are earning $5 million. Both of them make a million dollars profit. Um, the one business is subscription. One business is not. The non-subscription business, let's say that they both sell at a multiple of six. So now non-subscription business is 5 million minus 4 million is 1 million in EBITDA. So it's going to get a six multiple. It's going to sell for $6 million. The other business is $5 million subscription business. It's going to sell for a multiple of six times revenue. It's going to sell for 30 million. 30 million is better than 6 million. Every 24 million helps. I've always said. (laughs) That's true. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know how you're going to answer this. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you could start any business from that, I know you do a lot of businesses, but I'm just asking generally speaking. Okay. Knowing what you know and where the market is today, if you could start any business from scratch right now, what would it be? I wouldn't start one from scratch because um, I think it's so hard to build the momentum that businesses get. So my my whole thing has been the last business that I started from scratch is uh, a direct mail business that's still going today. It was 25 years ago now. And... Um, and I'm really excited to have it, but I'd never want to start one from scratch again. So I always look to partner with people who already have something going because that that initial stage of startup is just so hard and so many of them fail. It's so fraught with peril and you know things that, that can go wrong that I find that the things that I'm really good at, which is business strategy and growth and scaling and um, funding and exiting and buying... Um, those skills really apply best to businesses that are already going. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Now, I will tell you that the businesses that I'm getting into right now, um, one of the acquisitions was a, uh, I mentioned um, a real estate brokerage business that's a 100% commission business. So it's a different model than the mm. traditional real estate. And we're looking to build a subscription-based business around that. Um, another one that I just uh, partnered into does um, uh, some governmental compliance stuff under OSHA and we're turning that into a subscription model also. So I'm looking right now for businesses that are already successful that can be transitioned from non-recurring revenue into recurring revenue businesses because Mm -hmm. they sell for so much more. Got it. Okay. So I heard SaaS and recurring revenue. This was good. Recurring yeah. revenue, recurring revenue. I just want to make sure if you ever heard that. Recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you a totally off the ball question. So, based on that information, how smart as hell you are on this stuff, what do you think of Uber and Lyft from a business perspective, a business model perspective? Is it, would I you consider that recurring? Oh, um, well, <laughs> I, I consider it network effect, which is another thing that we didn't talk about. So, okay. uh, those businesses have two sets of customers that they serve. And as each of those customer segments grows, it makes the business more appealing to the other customer segment. So as Uber gets more drivers, which is their primary customer, they realized they get more people who are, they have more drivers available. So more people want to use the service. So they have, they have that. Now they're not recurring revenue in terms of uh, they have not yet said unlimited Uber rides for $100 a month or this right. many Uber rides for $100 a month or anything like that. But they're recurring revenue in, in the, they're not recurring revenue, but they are kind of recurring revenue-ish in that somebody who uses that system and finds that they can get the thing that they want, which is not having a car and get something to show up and take them to where they need to go that is something they're likely to use again and again. And they're more likely to use it 
based on the network effect of the more drivers who are available. And the more drivers who are available are likely to use the service based on how many customers who want rides are available. So those, those mm-hmm. two complementary customer segments that, that create that network effect is another thing that I'm looking for. So just like I mentioned with TNC, mm-hmm. TNC, we have a network effect in that the more customers, the more attendees we have, the more speakers and sponsors we can attract, the more speakers right. and sponsors we have, the more attendees we can attract. So that's a secondary layer that I like to put on the business. Okay. Interesting. The network effect. I, that's new for me because I, the reason I was asking, obviously, because it's obviously in the news a lot and stuff like that. And I was, they were talking about how both of them are not profitable technically. Right. And I found that fascinating. Um, cause I don't really own anything. And well, they own their customers. So it's, yeah. it's it, it, if you think well, about products, I was thinking like, you know, build, you know, like, they don't own the cars necessarily. There wasn't anything, a major um, overhead that I thought. Technology. Yeah, just, te- just tech, right? right. Huge, huge overhead there and, and advertising. But those businesses, yeah. So that, that's a different kind of business. And that yeah. is, you know, that, that's a Silicon Valley model, model of <laughs> let's build it and get a bunch of people there and eventually we'll figure out how to make money. And right, right. obviously it, it works. Uh, Jeff Bezos has done a fantastic job of that with, with Amazon, the, the interesting thing to me about Uber and Lyft is that Uber, I think, was initially focused more on the customers and not on the drivers. And yeah. Lyft really, I think, got a leg up because Lyft realized early on that their primary customer was the driver. And so they focused more on that. So I think that that was a big thing. And if you want to read more about Network Effect, uh, Peter Thiel is the guy, I think, that talks about it the most. But it's mm-hmm. definitely an interesting thing to look at. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Sorry to like totally just go on that whole tangent with, I was just you go anywhere like, you want to go. <laughs> Everyone lifts like totally random. Uh, maybe that's because I'm in downtown Austin, as you know, and the scooters are everywhere and it's just, mm-hmm. you have to walk over them and it's the most annoying thing on the planet. Um, yeah. but, uh, that, you know, there's a revenue and those things are constantly going. There's 10,500 of those. And during South by Southwest, it was the only way to get around town, to be honest. So, yeah. um, I was like, wow, they, they're, you know, it's just it's, it's, people who don't live in a city like San Diego that knows has them, I think, right. in San Francisco, and then yep. downtown, I live and breathe them and people go to work on them now. People, I mean, it really is becoming a transportation. And now there's a conversation about, just don't want to go on a tangent, there's a conversation about they would be 16 years old older. And now there's like a big bash flash because I guess parents are like, why take you to school? Just like take a scooter. So right. the kids are just scootering themselves to school, right? Right, um, right. And now they're, all the parents are upset. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? No, no, no. I don't have to get up in the morning, you know? So, but it's a whole other world of uh, first world problems, right? So. It's an interesting, to me, it's an interesting thing that what's old is new, because if you went to China 30, 40 years ago, you would see just bicycles everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And they tried that with bicycles here, but basically Lyft and Uber are, and um, is it Lime? Is that the other one? Lime. Yep. There's one of them. There's like five. There's five here. Yeah. So that, so those those are the Chinese bicycles of 50 years ago, only transplanted here because traffic has gotten so much uh, out of control that right. the infrastructure can't handle the traffic. So that's a solution to that problem. But it's an old solution, which is kind of interesting, I think. I love how things just keep cycling around. Yeah, around it's, it is definitely an old solution. And the bicycles, too. Uber now has the bicycles, too. And um, 
you know, I just laugh about it because South by Southwest, a friend of mine was here and they were in rainy and rainy shut down. They actually shut down rainy street and they forced no scooters or no bicycles. So they had this huge pile of literally pile. It was, it was on the news and, the, and the only way, yeah, the only way to get down there, cause I had a park and the only way to get down there was a bicycle and then walk cause they didn't let anything and they only let pedestrians in. So it, was, it, they, it caused a whole nother level of um, challenges for the police and the, and, and the, I guess the South by Southwest, but you know, they solved it. Right. So it's just, it's fascinating <laughs> to me that they were able to do that. So, oh my gosh. So, okay. I'm looking at the time, but I have one more last question. Cause I know you're really focused on the war room and, and whatnot. And mm-hmm. congratulations. You said how many people? 200? 200. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. And you know, it's an odd question, but I'm going to ask it. Why do you think that the war room, why do people, why do people attend? What, what is the number one thing that they're getting or the biggest challenge they feel they are solving while they're there? I, I think that the, the initial reason that people join is for access to the people who are in war room and the content that those people are discussing, because anything that happens at TNC was probably presented at war room six to 18 months earlier. So you have a huge advantage to getting information before it makes it to TNC, which is generally perceived to be the most cutting edge digital marketing conference. So you're getting not only before the world, you're getting it before the six to 10,000 people that might be at TNC in a group of only a few hundred people who aren't really sharing that stuff other places. That's, that's one thing. The fact that we have three companies that are doing over a billion dollars a year who are members and several that are in the hundreds of millions. um, And then several in the five to five to hundred range is helpful to all those companies because they know that, that, there's somebody that they'll have a direct one-on-one relationship with in war room that has the ability to, who's already been where they want to go. Who's, who's had the challenges that they're facing now and can reach down and give them a hand up. If you're making 5 million and want to go to 10, if you're making 10 and want to go to 50 or a hundred, if you're making a hundred or 200 and want to go to a billion, there's somebody there. uh, There's at least three somebody's there who can say, ah, here's how I did it. Here's what you need to watch out for. Here's some resources you should think about. Here's what we did wrong. Here's what we would do differently if we had it to do over again. And then as bigger companies, you have more agile, um, innovative companies that are maybe not so corporate that you can reach down to and say, how are you guys innovating? How are you solving Mm -hmm. this problem? And so that that give and take, there's not a lot of opportunity out there in a small group like that to to have such quality people and you know we have leaders in the speaking field we have leaders in the publishing field we have leaders in payments it, that that are all in that one place so it's uh, it's really cool and we've lately attracted more really innovative uh, brick and mortar businesses as well. So, you know, we have uh, a really large flooring company now that's, that's a member and a really large sign company and, uh, uh, and an attorney that does thousands and thousands of living trusts all over, you know, California. So it's kind of fun that, that we've got the super digital people that are, you know, leveraged arbitrage of ads on native commerce networks to somebody that's doing flooring. And they're all sharing what's working for them across these different things. The other thing that's cool is that we have really 
we've got customers that are software as a service, customers that are selling online and e-commerce. We've got customers that are doing consulting. We've got agencies, uh, obviously, because of digital marketer. And then we've got info information sellers. So we have those five different groups who are all sharing as well. And it's about evenly divided among them. So you've got about 40 of each of those different classes of folks. And so what's cool is that that you'll be in the information marketing business, but you'll see that the e-com people are getting leads and doing this thing. And the SaaS people are converting those leads, doing this thing. And the agencies are running these models with their most successful clients. And you can kind of take all of those things and turn them back into your information business or vice versa. So right. I think that's... That's so the five cool. categories you said were info, SaaS, e-com, agency, I'm missing one. Consulting, coaching Consul- and consulting. Coaching, consulting. Okay, got it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Right. okay I got that. <laughs> of course, coaching, yeah. consulting. All right, consulting, yeah. of course. Of course, coaching, consulting, and speaking. Oh, okay, great. Um, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's definitely a huge network. Um, and when I first met you, when did I first meet you? What year was that? I think it was... Probably oh, was it was probably before I was in. I think it was like 08. 08. Yeah, I was at that one the one war room, um, and uh, had lunch with you and Ryan and someone else at the table. I don't remember. But we met, as I recall, earlier than that. At oh, that? Some, yeah, some other event. I was trying to think Probably. of whose it was. Probably another. Yeah, that's right. We did. It wasn't TNC though because they no. hadn't started yet. I don't remember. Yeah. It was probably in some conference room. <laughs> Probably was. <laughs> and we met. Yeah, and then uh, then that war room that was in 2011. I'm probably in Barton at Barton, uh, the hotel in Barton, yep. um, country club. Yeah. So that's long twelve. Anyway, none your while. Right. So thank you for the interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're still very you. dear a mentor of mine. So I really want to honor that and thank you. And so, uh, I have to wrap it up now. Is there any last words you want to say before I head things out? No, just, uh, I, well, uh, I think the important thing is that you, you will realize throughout your career that you're always thinking smaller than you should no matter where you are and, um, and where I am and where people who are far beyond me and people who are not quite yet where, you know, where I am, uh, all have that in common. So beat yourself up about it and never be too complacent, but don't beat yourself up about it because everybody's experiencing it. And, um, and I think that the biggest thing to think about is always think about serving the customer that that customer experience will carry you on throughout the years and everything that you do across multiple businesses and multiple platforms and um, the networks and relationships that you get, um, which is the last answer to the war room question. Cause I said, they come for the, the people who are in it and the content, but they stay for the relationships and the networking um, because there are very few people who understand what we as entrepreneurs go through. Our families don't understand it. Our friends don't understand it. Uh, and, and so it can be kind of lonely And so I think having an opportunity to be around people and I would encourage people to do this, whether it's through war room or any mastermind or, or events or a podcast like yours to really take the time to form relationships outside the computer with other entrepreneurs, because they will Mm -hmm. help you get through the tough times and they will understand what you're going through and they will have ideas that are valuable and they will support you when the other people around you um, may be, are trying to help you by telling you that you should stop. Been there. <laughs> I can relate a little. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And um, I'm in the currently reading the book, play bigger. Um, good book. It's just about that. Like, you know, you just, it's just different numbers, you know? And so yep. you definitely 
play way bigger than me. And I've always looked up to you and that, that, but, um, yeah, I, good advice. Thank you. Everyone. This is Heather. Hey, when you go check out Roland Frazier at Roland and it has a list of who he is and everything that he's been up to and creating all the different websites as well. And my podcast. Oh, your podcast. Oh, what's the name of your podcast? Business lunch. Oh, business lunch. What's business lunch podcast with Roland Frazier. I had no idea. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not about everything you're creating right now. Um, and you can check us out at heatherhavenwood.com or you can go to iHeart, Spotify, Roku, iTunes, and 17 different national national syndicated radio stations across the country or wherever you listen to podcasts. And this is Heather Havenwood and heatherhavenwood.com. Are you a coach, consultant, small business owner, or online entrepreneur? Do you want to significantly grow your business triple your list and double your sales conversions? If the answer is yes, then launching a podcast is the next step. You see, being an expert in your field, having a website is no longer enough to be noticed in today's marketplace. I call it the influencer effect. Being an influencer is the key. You see, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And having your own podcast helps people to connect with you. If you're interested in having me help you launch your own podcast, grow your influence and promote your business, then go to InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. That's InfluencerGrowthFormula.com. And let me help you rise to the top. Thank you for listening to Like a Boss, helping you rise to the top. Join Heather's Mastermind at InfluencerTribe.com where she helps you become an influencer and dominate your field. Follow Heather Havenwood on Instagram. Interested in interviewing or scheduling a call with Heather? Go to callwithheather.com. For more, go to heatherhavenwood.com.